EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hi guys, and welcome to this episode of EST. It's Micah in the studio with uh, Josh and Sam, all three of us together for the first time in a little while. We're excited to be here. Before we jump into the episode, we wanted to take a minute and address some of the issues that have been sort of swirling around our nation's consciousness over the last few days. As we record this, we're just coming off of uh, the events in Charlottesville, Virginia. We want to say without any exception, with absolute clarity, that when any person on the planet at any place prizes one race over another. They're embracing an anti-gospel. They're embracing a message that is antithetical to the Word of God from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. Uh, But having said that, uh, we also wanted to mention that we're going to address the issue of race and the established church in the next few weeks. We're not going to do it on this episode. We recognize that the three of us are Anglo, we're majority culture, and uh, we realize we wouldn't be able to sufficiently do justice without also having some minority voices in the conversation as well. So that'll be coming in the next few weeks. Watch for that. But we did want to make sure that we provided an unequivocal statement making very clear that we find it offensive and anti-gospel to embrace any idea that a race is superior to another. Uh, We're so thankful for the beautiful display of color and diverse cultures that are represented in the kingdom of God. And we don't want to be a colorblind people. We want to affirm the beauty of all of those colors and affirm that the beauty of all those colors and that diversity is exactly what we're going to see in eternity around the throne with King Jesus someday. So anyway, having said that, and uh, noting that we're going to be talking more about race and the established church in the next few weeks, welcome to uh, Josh and Sam. I'm glad to be back with you guys. Hey, man. Glad to have you both back. Yeah. We've been, been kind of lonely little, without y'all. Well, I've been a little delinquent. Sam, you've been out a little bit as well. Yeah. I've been traveling. Um, I had 17 speaking engagements in 10 days. And, yes. And God gave me laryngitis right before all oh, of that. So I am I'm, I am on the tail end of a really bad cold. And so if my voice does not sound as uh, baritone, as Micah's, it's it's because of um, it's because of my cold, and not because I'm usually just squeaky. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason. Yeah, that's, that's my reason too. I am I am thankful to to actually be able to speak because there was a there was a moment there a couple of days while I was on staff retreat of all places <coughs> that I could not speak at all. So yeah, it's good wow. it's good to be back in more ways than one. So. Um how uh, thankful were your staff that you had laryngitis on your uh, staff retreat? Well, it was the joke that just kept on going and going and going um, that uh, I was, I'm sure was not able to lead staff retreat because I just could not talk. Um, so, yeah, they were they were quite, quite thankful because I do have a reputation of being um, verbose, uh, to say the least. But I think that's every lead pastor, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely my problem. Yeah, we don't we don't have a problem talking. <laughs> Brevity is not my friend. I can tell you that. Nope. So today's topic, 
You guys want to hear this one? Yeah. I'm excited. We're, we're talking us. about the, I'm not sure how to say this first word. Is it primacy or primacy? Primacy. The primacy. Primacy yes. of the pulpit. How important or is the, the sub, pulpit? Or the supremacy. <laughs> supremacy of the pulpit. We're talking about the preaching ministry here of established churches, particularly long established churches. And um, so, yeah, what is what y'all's, uh, what y'all lead into this? What do you got on this, Micah? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I'm glad to talk through this, and I'm curious to hear what Sam has to say. You know, Sam just finished with his Ph.D. Dr. Sam Rayner just finished with his Ph.D. looking at legacy churches. And I know, Sam, you mentioned you don't have specific research to this topic, but I'm curious to hear just anecdotally what you experienced in some of these churches. I can tell you from my experience. So I've pastored, I've been senior pastor of three churches. The pastor, the church I'm pastoring right now, Brainerd Baptist, is the youngest church I've ever pastored and will turn 90 years old next week. Um, the other two churches I pastored were well over 100 years old. And then, of course, I served as the interim pastor at First Baptist Jackson, Mississippi, which is a legacy church with a historic pulpit. In my experience, um, churches with a long established history, and I'm, I'm thinking churches of 75 plus years, tend to view the pulpit and the words that emanate from the pastor in the pulpit with a certain level of respect and um, and as if they're commanding a sense of authority that maybe newer churches don't always seem to convey from their pulpits. And I think that's both healthy and unhealthy, and we can address how that's healthy and unhealthy in a minute. But Sam, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, there's no doubt that um, your long-term established churches tend to view the pulpit m- more highly. And I, I know that there's lots of exceptions to that, and so I want to just throw that out there to say that this isn't like a blanket. I'm going to talk in terms of generalities, but obviously there's exceptions. But, I mean, you've got to think about it. If, if your church was founded in 1900 or 1850, uh, there wasn't an Internet. There wasn't wide availability of um, places to get information uh, even a newspaper in certain parts of the country was hard to come by. So where did you go to get the news? Where did you go to hear things? Where did you go to um, interact? Where where was the hub of the community? Well, it was the church. The church. Well, church and the courthouse, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. Church, hopefully for good reasons, and courthouse, m- more times than not, for bad reasons. That's where the hub of the community was. So people came to church to, to hear what was going on. And the one time that everyone's assembled to hear from one person, well, that's in the worship time in the sanctuary with the guy in the pulpit. So, yeah, I mean, I I just think history and um, a sense of um, a a lack of availability of of other information at the time, uh, that that was part of it. Now, obviously, there's some spiritual reasons behind this. There are some um, just some sociological reasons behind this. But what I found in my research, um, particularly on legacy churches, is that – there is a, a, a prominence of the pulpit, and it is often filled with charismatic leaders. So these mm-hmm. older established yep. churches put charismatic leaders who have grand abilities to communicate to large audiences. So you add mm-hmm. that to, you know, we really enjoy hearing from this guy, and he's really about the only one that we can hear from. And there's a lot of power that comes from that, and it has been used in noble ways. And it has been mm-hmm. used in uh, some ways that are not noble. Um, but I could point so help, to— So help me out with this. Are we talking about the pulpit or the the office of the pastor? Are we talking about the preaching time or preaching the time. person? Yeah, the preaching time. Okay. Yeah, well, here's one of the things I would say, too. 
in older established legacy churches, particularly when they're a little bit larger, those two things are generally somewhat synonymous. And and think about this. How often have you been in an older established church and the pastor is constantly referred to as the preacher, right? So that's, mm-hmm. for, for many older established churches, that's the prime view is that that's what the pastor is. He's the preacher. Everything else is something that someone could do or someone else could do, but that's the thing that you really bring this person in. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many small little uh, older established churches I've been in where that's their view of the pastor. Hey, preacher really. man. I mean, hey, preacher man. That's right. Mm-hmm. Hey, preacher man. They want someone who's going to be strong in the pulpit. And, and, and actually, when you hear that, that's more of a term of endearment than it is an attack. That's correct. Right. Oh, it's not an attack at all. I'm just saying that's perception, and that it certainly is affection. So now those of us who are pastoring established churches, which is almost all of our listeners as they're listening to ESC, what, what, what does this bring to bear on our current ministries? What does it bring to bear? Well, how does this influence our decisions and what we do now, pastoring established churches in 2017? So one, one thing for me, just right off the bat, I try hard not to be out of the pulpit. Um, mm. you, you know, and, and that's just my church. Every church is different, but I take maybe two Sundays off a year. Whereas, you know, a church plant or a newer church, a church with a little different culture than an established church, some of these guys are preaching like 35, 40 times a year, and they're the lead pastor. Yeah. That, let me yeah. tell you right now, at, at my church is wonderful, and I love it. That would not mm-hmm. fly in my church. And my church is a pretty accepting, flexible, generous church. If I was only preaching 30, 40, 35, 40 times a year, yeah, I, I, I don't think that uh, that would go over well here. So, you know, when, when I came to Saxe, we're not as old, of course, as um, Brainerd, and I'm assuming Bradenton, but uh, the it, it had an established church mentality, an old established church mentality. The older members called me preacher, not pastor, and, and had that sort of view of the pulpit. They're very proud that WA preached here, and all of these famous people came through and preached here and stuff like that. But... I intentionally took from the very first year eight weeks off or more. And the thing about it is, is I'm not leaving. I sit there in the front and listen to the preacher and and stuff like that. Sometimes I'm out, but usually when I'm not preaching, I'm still here. And the way I communicated that to the church was, we are not going to build this church or this ministry on a certain personality or certain charismatic kind of personality. It's about the Word of God, and so that's going to come in different styles. That's another reason why I will pick people who don't exactly preach like me. We have a couple of different preachers who I'm more of a narrative style. We have a couple that preach regularly for us that are three points and a poem and a joke about pastor's wives, and you know that's just kind of the way they are, and I stick them up there. I've got another one who's a traveling evangelist, um, but he's he's Mexican. He's particularly um, evangelizes hispanic cultures and spanish-speaking cultures and he preaches completely different than the other two of us so we're trying to diversify that and i had a couple people were like well aren't you supposed to preach and i say no i'm supposed to make sure that the preaching is done and so that means i'm not always going to do it so i took the other approach but i see what you're saying on both we got pushback on it and uh it was weird for some people but now it's just it's kind of normal it's old hat sure and yeah the other you've created a healthy situation there i'm 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 not saying that this is what needs to happen going forward. I'm just saying this is historical. But it's a consideration. Yeah, it has to be thought through. If, you're, if yeah. you go into a church, an established church, you absolutely have to feel this one out. Micah? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was going to say the other thing that I would say to pastors who are in an established church, um, get better at preaching. 
Mm. And I don't care if you're a great preacher or you're not a great preacher. Get better than you are. Make it a priority to prioritize your ability to, li- to deliver from the pulpit. And I realize, you know, there's an argument about attractional churches versus missional churches and, you know, that whole argument. And that's a good argument. It's one we need to have. But I'm afraid often then for those who maybe are not as big a fan as the attractional church, they'll sort of downplay the pulpit and uh, downplay that sermon worship experience for more organic missional, you know, environments. Here's, here's a couple of things I would say about that. One, I would say, um, you know, organic is important and matters, but organic is often code word for, you know, unplanned and unintentional. So let's, let's not do that, right? Organic functions best. When you plant tomatoes in your backyard, they function best when you put them in appropriate structure, right? Putting a tomato cage around the tomato plant. So you need decent structure. So structure is not antithetical to organic environments. And then secondly, um, while it's true, even in a non-attractional church, that you want missional elements and you want to build around a missional structure, you can't lose um, the importance of the word biblically and the importance of the world, cult, the, the importance of the word culturally. And so, um, if you can be good and better at preaching, it provides um, a sense of legitimacy and access to your people that gives you permission to lead in the missional direction that you want to lead in. And the reality is all of us can preach. You know, I've been preaching 20 years now this past month. Last month was the 20-year anniversary of, um, of when I started preaching. You've been listening to EST, a conversation about the established church with our hosts, Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We'll be back shortly after a brief message from our sponsors. Hey, this is Josh. I wanted to take a few moments just to talk to you about one of our EST sponsors, Trained Up. As a pastor, you know that you need to train your volunteers. You also know that that is one of the hardest things possible to do. Trying to get their schedules in order, trying to get everybody to show up, planning and organizing the whole thing can take a lot of your pastoring time away from you. With this resource, Trained Up has not only cut the amount of training meetings in half, it's also significantly increased participation by up to 40%. And that's a win for everybody. Not to mention that Trained Up already has courses built in with just about every ministry area you can think of. So even if you don't know what to cover, they've got you covered. And now for a limited time only, Trained Up is offering a 50% discount on their multi-ministry package for two years. Go to trainedup.org to get started today. Thank you to our sponsors who help further the mission of EST. If you'd like to partner with us and have us spotlight your ministry, go to estchurch.com for more information. Now, let's get back to the show. I've been preaching for a long time. I get to preach in a lot of cool places, but I'm telling you, I do the, I practice this discipline every week of watching and listening to part of my sermon every single week. It's one of the worst, most painful things I do. I have a sermon critique form that I ask others to fill out on occasion to critique my sermons. Uh, it's an anonymous online form that I use, and, and I do that intentionally to try and force myself to constantly improve, uh, recognizing that people in established churches value the supremacy of the word. And I think, frankly, it's not just a, it's not just a methodological issue. I think it's a biblical issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm absolutely. You guys I listen to a portion of Micah's sermon every week, too, and it is painful. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts almost like running a screwdriver through your hand hurts. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, and this is something that. else. Tell us I... about that real quick. How are you? 
Micah heard. I'm good. Hand. Look, I, uh, it's like a stigmata. You guys can see the video. I don't know on my hand. It's almost like I've got mm, a, a stigmata on my hand. I've got a hole right in the middle of my palm. Um, no, I was putting the, I was putting together a trampoline for my kids yesterday, and I was really bearing down on a screw, and the screwdriver slipped off the screw and ran oh. through my hand, and. I busted a bunch of tendons in there, evidently. So it's puffed up nice and big. Do you, big do and you I need to repent but... of words that you said following that? You know end? what's amazing? I literally didn't say a single word, good or bad. I think I just yelled and went, and I saw how much blood there was, and I ran straight for the sink <laughs> and uh, threw my hand <laughs> under the uh, under the sink. I think that's so got to be an evidence of sanctification at some level. <laughs> I, I think it surely is. Hey, something on this idea of moving a little bit away from the pulpit and the man, although we're we're obviously identifying them as the same, is if you are pastoring an established church and maybe you're of the younger generation, this is a weird thought for you, especially because like you two, I didn't, my dad wasn't a pastor. And so I wasn't really around the office of the pastor other than, you know, just having a pastor. And... So one of the things I've struggled with as a young pastor is I think the office is just my office. I'm a normal guy. I I function in this role, and we have other great saints who function in the role of child care greeter team. And we have other great saints that function in the role of deacon. And whatever it is, I just kind of say this is my role. God gave – I'm the mouth of this thing, so I kind of do that. Well, when you're in an established church, you have to at least consider the idea – that the position of the pastor is something different for a lot of people. So this comes out in two ways. I've got a story for one and then just experience for the other. Uh, One of our former pastors, at least on the leadership side of things, is famous for saying, well, uh, here's what I want to do, and I think this will be good. And one of the other staff people said, well, do you think that's what God wants us to do? And he said, and this is the quote I heard, it doesn't matter. I'll just get up there and say this is what God wants us to do, and the church will listen. Because how can you argue against God? So mm. you've got to realize, and sometimes younger pastors don't realize what they're saying, is you better be sure you're speaking an opinion or a truth as best you can from the Word of God and not your own preferences and your own opinions because you're occupying a position and a place in which it carries so much weight. So this is one of the reasons why in the pulpit I did not do a lot of political views, um, almost none. I talk about issues issues or ethics or morals or things that I can't. But standing up and endorsing a candidate or something from behind the pulpit, I feel, is, is, is tantamount to saying this is the one God endorses. So I don't do that. The other side of this when I'm realizing this and this has just come in the last couple of months I started having kind of people over to our house we really didn't do that before um, kind of going out with, with to lunch for pe- with people for no reason now anytime people wanted to come over or, or invited us over we did that but what we started doing is like the deacons and their wives come over to our house for dinner um, this Sunday we have all the youth group leaders and their spouses and their families coming over uh, to our house. There's no agenda to it. It's just come over and eat at the pastor's house. And I'm telling you that last phrase there is we're seeing all sorts of re- like leadership equity I'm building just because they're over in my house, just because I'm serving them a drink, asking, do you need anything else? Let me get you some more chicken or something like that. I'm seeing that role kind of shift. It's the same idea. 
the primacy of the pulpit, the guy up there talking, he he carries a lot of power. When you intentionally use that for missional or, or, or service kind of oriented things, I'm seeing a big shift here. Whereas before I thought, why does anybody want to come to my house? I mean, like, that's weird. Like, it's just a normal person's house. Their houses are nicer than mine, you know? And so, but I began to understand sort of this idea of the primacy of the pastor or the pulpit in that level that he carries. Yeah, I think it's wise to push back on the uh, attention that you can get as, as a lead pastor. So if you are a lead pastor and you realize the power of the pulpit, I, I would encourage you to, obviously you want to use that as a as a, an equipping tool because there's a mm. lot of good that can come from people paying attention to good preaching. But you always have to push back on the idea that you're not the Messiah. You know, you're not mm. the one that is ultimately, you know, in charge of the church. So it, it's this weird balance of, hey, there's a lot of power that comes with this. Um, everyone is, everybody in the church is listening to me on a Sunday morning for the most part. There's a lot of power in that. But then you're, you mm. can't feed that. It's like you have to accept it and you have to use it, but then you can't feed it. You have to push back on it. And so, Josh, what you're mm. really doing there is you're, you're kind of, for you to use a poor term, deconstructing that notion of, of you know, mm. wow, there's Redefining this, it. You, redefining. That's a much better term. I don't want to sound postmodern. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, much, you're redefining that. And I think that's healthy. I think that's good. And I think a lot of the pastors that have found themselves in trouble are the ones that have fed it. You know, and have, yeah. and have lived off of it and said, you know, this Absolutely. you know, this is something I need and I need more of. And it's addicting. It really is addicting. And so you have to be careful mm-hmm. about um, allowing the church to, to look at you too much in that way. I mean, you're literally yeah. up there in most churches on a platform. Like they are looking up to you um, just right. by the, the design of the room. Um, and, and there's a danger to that. And so I'd caution anybody, particularly a younger guy that's beginning to lead churches or to, you know, you're kind of in your first two, three, four years and in, in being a lead pastor, um, be very careful with that power because uh, it can, it can mm-hmm. destroy you quickly, and that's exactly where Satan will go um, to attack you. I heard something interesting about this one time. In a friend of mine's church, they would not let any staff person, any leader stand behind, you know, what we call the pulpit or the lectern, whatever you have there. Only the preaching minister was allowed to stand behind that. So the worship leader was not allowed to stand center stage, essentially, because they so viewed that position, like literally where you're standing as authoritative, that they didn't want to confuse. It wasn't so much for the members. It was for the staff. They didn't want to confuse them on their level of authority. And so you don't even get to stand behind this. So I think that's a little overboard, but... What I would say is that's a good illustration of showing that if you're thinking this isn't a real thing, if you're listening to us right now and like, this isn't a thing, this is just something that they're kind of extrapolating out of anecdotal evidence, then you're not paying attention. If you don't think it's a thing, thing. if you don't think it's a thing, go to Europe, go look at all the churches where, Mm -hmm. and look at the pulpits in those churches. Um, Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, even some of the much older churches in the United States, we kind of have stages, you know, we kind of have platforms, if you will. If you're talking a church built in prior to the 1800s, generally speaking, I mean, you have this elaborate pulpit with like this circular mm-hmm. staircase leading up to it that oversaw, you know, this this room. Um, the the mere design of some of our our older older churches uh, points to how people viewed this back in the day, and the the effects of of what that did. 100, 200 years ago is still there. You know, that, that culture mm-hmm. has, has kept with a lot of our churches. 
And again, right. if if the, if it's the case that hey, we value the preaching of the word of God, that's why we've structured it this way. Great, that's wonderful. If it's this is the man, uh, this is the person in the pulpit that, and, and it's all about that, then then we've um, then we've got something wrong. But uh, but I'll also say this. It's no longer the architecture that that drives this. It's uh, it's how many views and how many hits you get on your sermon podcast. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it, we still do this. It's just in a little different way now. Technology has driven this in a different direction, but it is still the same principle that is being applied. Right, Micah, you look like you had a thought on that. Well, I mean, I no, I just I think this is difficult because I think. And I'm going. I, I thought about this earlier when Sam was was saying what he was saying about how often we feed um, bad perceptions of the the pulpit. We have to constantly live in tension here, and and this is one of the things that's true with almost all of our pastoral responsibilities. You know, Andy Stanley talks about the difference between problems that can be solved and tensions that can be managed, and we often view everything as a problem to be solved when the reality is a majority of what we deal with are tensions to be managed. And we get frustrated when we think of everything as a problem to be solved, and, and it's, it's never seemingly solved. We're constantly always working on it. Um, I think this is one of those. We have to live in the tension that, biblically speaking, the pulpit or, or proclamation ministry of the church is significant, and, and I would say is at the center of what we believe our worship gatherings ought to be. And, and guys, we're in the 500, you know, this year's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. This goes all the way back to 500 years ago, you know, with the five solas, in particular, sola uh, scriptura, the primacy of scripture. This is why in our evangelical churches, the pulpit is the center of the platform, whereas in high church or liturgical churches, it's um, the communion table that's at mm, the center of the point. platform. Yeah, right? really good point. And so their their architecture is structured around what they believe to be the primary element of the worship service. Those of us in evangelical churches, we believe the word and the proclamation of the word is primary. So this is not just an old, old established church. This is evangelical and frankly Protestant, okay? And it goes back for 500 years. We have to live in the tension between that and the fact that every pastor is broken with baggage, every Mm -hmm. single one. And the primacy of the pulpit doesn't mean the primacy of the pastor, and we have to simultaneously lift up the word, lift up the pulpit, make it primary, and constantly push ourselves down and right. acknowledge that we are weak and that we are broken and we are fallible. And every time we preach, Spurgeon, I, I found this quote one time, and I've never been able to find it since. I need to ask Christian George about it. Uh, but he, he, he quoted, he, he had this quote one time that said, the hardest thing about preaching, something along these lines, the hardest thing about preaching is who you appear to be when you're standing in the pulpit and who you really are when you're out of the pulpit or something along those lines. Because every pastor stands up in the pulpit and proclaims that which is greater than he is or she you know i mean it's 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 that we preach this message that's so far beyond who we are it's it's more righteous more holy more faithful all of those things than we are and so to some degree every pastor is a hypocrite in the sense that none of us live up to what we're preaching the key is to acknowledge that you know what i mean the key is to say Mm -hmm. look guys i'm in this with you i'm not telling you my opinion i'm telling you the word i'm telling you i fall short of the word you fall short of the word so i'm going to lift up the word and let's all aspire to the word together Yeah, the for those of us who are pastoring established churches currently, I, I just keep thinking of a few of these things where we can leverage this and constantly pushing yourself down because it is just look around. It almost seems like one of the 
not only do you need like a really cool coffee bar to grow a big church now, you need a really great kids ministry space and you need the platform of the pastor. The the preaching personality has to have this like really great online presence. And so it seems to be one of those things that's antithetical to what we're trying to do. It doesn't have to be. You just have to be constantly trying to keep the thing in, in check. But I would say just another little story where this could come in very hel- helpful is so I pastor a First Baptist church, and there will be people who disagree with me, but I think that the name kind of is um, it's a it's a hurdle for a lot of people, and it's something that kind of gets in the way. Not only the Baptist word in our name, but also the first word in our name uh, causes issues for us when we're reaching people. So one of the things that we've done is we have a nickname we go by mainly Saxy's Church. Well, as um, as we started doing that some of the older members and and some people that were kind of connected to the history of this church got upset with that. And they said, you know, this is the First Baptist Church. We need to call it the First Baptist Church. And I simply said, look, the name of our church is the First Baptist Church of Saxe, Texas. I've never heard any of you refer to it as that. You either call it First Saxe or FBC or something like that. So everybody has a nickname. The nickname I'm going to use is Saxe's Church. You can call it whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it the one I want to call it knowing that when I stand up every single Sunday and call it Saxe's Church, eventually I shape the sort of the culture of the church using that. So you can use this uh, to bring about change in a way that you want to without causing a fight. So our name is still the First Baptist Church of Saxe, Texas, but almost everybody calls it Saxe's Church. And that's just a non-fighting way that um, we've used the power of the pulpit in my position to bring about change over time. So there's a lot of ways to think through this that it can affect today, um, knowing that we're pastoring established churches. Any final thoughts? We're up against the time now. Yeah, I got an idea. Okay. Everyone, get on social media and share a picture of your pulpit. I'd love. Oh, that'd be cool. I would love to see. Idea. I would love to see all of the, our listeners and just the the different types of pulpits that that uh, our listeners preach from. So get on get on I social media that. and send us yeah. at EST Church. Uh, send us a picture of your pulpit. I'd love to see it. That would be great. So make sure that you uh, you tag us in it. That way we see it. But post a picture of your pulpit. Um, I'm very proud of mine. So this is going to be a fun game. I'm going to go take a picture of mine. So anything else, Micah? You got final thoughts? I think it's good. You guys have covered it. You're All profound right. and intelligent. You're much That's more intelligent than you look. <laughs> good thing nobody can How's see How's that us? for a backhanded compliment? Yeah. <laughs> nobody can see us. Hey, I want to give a shout-out to Paul Sampson. Paul is a um, he's a part of the church Brooker Baptist, B-R-O-O-K-E-R, in Brooker, Florida. He's a, one of our Facebook followers. Actually gave us a great review on Facebook, and we appreciate that. We appreciate you, Paul. And so if you have a few minutes, jump on Facebook and um, review us. We are on Facebook. I know we constantly uh, push our Twitter, but either way, post a picture of your pulpit and tag us in it. Let us see it on whichever social media platform you prefer. And um, while we're talking about reviewing, don't forget to jump on iTunes. We really appreciate that. Look back on some of our past episodes at est.church. The vision episode is really taking off. And look forward to some of our future episodes such as the one about race. Thank you for listening this week, and we'll catch you next week.
You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the Word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.